Welcome to the Sober Nation FM podcast, where we're putting recovery on the map. I'm your host, Jonathan Sylvester. This show is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Do you want to take your recovery to the next level? Do you want more support, community, and fellowship? Sobriety Engine is an incredible free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. You can get a ton of great tips, resources, and guidance to help you succeed in recovery and in life. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. Sober Nation FM is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle all while supporting your sobriety, then you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave a review. Nation, let's hop right into today's episode. Today, I'll be speaking with author Sarah Ordo. Thanks for coming on the show, Sarah. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So first of all, congrats on five years sober. That's awesome. Huge, huge accomplishment. Yes, it'll be six years in May, which is just May what? Mind blowing. May twenty fifth. All right, I'm I'm the fifteenth, so I'm oh I'm right we're there close. With you. Yeah, we're close. I'm right there <laughs> with you. That's awesome. So you have several books and and really a lot of projects that I'd like to talk talk about. But uh, your main book, uh, sober as fuck. I think we'll talk about that. Uh, but first, I'd really like to hear about how you found recovery. So what did life look like before you got sober? Yeah, so I was your typical, just like party girl from 13, 14 on. Every single weekend of my life was just whose house are we going to go to and drink? Um, you know, high school just amplified that. In college, I joined a sorority that just amplified it even more. But I was definitely drunk all weekend, every weekend. And the thing that made my alcoholism so dangerous was I was a horrible blackout drinker. So I would binge on these crazy amounts of alcohol and I'm only five feet tall. I'm pretty, I'm a pretty tiny girl. So like I was drinking ungodly amounts of vodka, tequila, whatever it was. And I was like a full functioning blackout though. Like some Mm. people blackout and you know, they're like, can't walk. They're tipsy. They're going to pass yeah, out. That was my w- style of blackout. <laughs> See, that was not me, which yeah. made it even worse. I think because mm. I would be completely blacked out. I would have no recollection of anything, but I mm. would continue to drink. I would talk to people. I would go places. I would do things. And I would not even have like a glimmer of a memory of like hours. And people would be like, Oh, I talked to you. You didn't even seem that drunk. And I'm like, I don't even remember seeing you. Wow. I don't even remember being at this place. Like mm-hmm. I was so functioning my blackouts that obviously it got me into a lot of trouble. Sure. So that was my life from 13, 14 until I got sober at 26, which getting sober in your mid twenties is not <laughs> the mm-hmm. ideal time right, for right. most people. That's usually when everyone's kind of like, having their fun and getting it out of their system. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I had to have a pretty big wake up call for me to get sober. And I probably, to be completely honest, would not have changed my ways had something that big not happened Yeah, because I normalized it so much. Mm-hmm. Um, the environment I was in normalized it so much that I didn't think anything was wrong. I just thought it was, you know, a good time. I was that crazy girl with all the drunk stories, always at the bar and, you know, where other people would see that as being a problem. It was my normal life for so long. Yeah. Yeah. I I get that. And I think a lot of, uh, 
common areas in our story to, to say the least. And, um, and yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. It was just the normal thing. So what was that critical point for you where you were just like, okay, I'm, I'm in trouble. Like I, I'm, I either need to make a change or I think what you were saying is you were kind of forced to make a change almost. Yeah. So, so I had a couple little close call red flag things okay. that should have been wake up calls to, mm -hmm. they would be to most people. They weren't to me though. I just kind of like, oh yeah, that was bad. And then I would like laugh it off as like another drunk story. Right. Right. But, um, I mean, I had like ripped my chin open in a parking lot on the concrete, like a lot of things like that happened where I would, you know, I would wake up, I wouldn't know where I was. There was no one there, like scary situations like that. But what ultimately ended up getting me sober was I was really heavily into the whole electronic music, like EDM music scene. I worked in the clubs, like that was just my whole world. And we went to a music festival that happens every year here in Detroit. And it's always like the craziest weekend, like after hours parties, drugs, drinking, like everything you can imagine for like three days straight. Mm -hmm. And that, I mean, like that was like, Christmas like that was like the Olympics for us you know yeah. so um we went to the festival and I had pre-gamed taken some pills as well um I was blacked out before I even got into the festival and what ended up happening was I took a handful of pills from someone I didn't know when I was already completely blacked out um ended up taking a really lethal combination of ecstasy MDMA ketamine all these different things. Wow. And ultimately the combination of the alcohol and all the pills, my body just shut down. Mm -hmm. So I collapsed in the middle of this music festival and they had to run me to a medic tent. They called an ambulance. I was taken to the emergency room by ambulance. Um, I seized bit halfway through my tongue, almost went into cardiac arrest when they finally got my heart rate kind of normal again, it just skyrocketed. So it was a very scary um, situation. Yeah, I woke up. Like yeah, I woke up in the hospital, had no idea what had happened, where I was, was pulling IVs and sensors off of my chest, like screaming and crying just because I, you know, was terrified. I had no idea what had just happened. And, you know, the doctors basically told me they were like, we don't know how someone as small as you you know, had consumed that many things. And they basically were like, we don't know how you pulled through this. Like your body was literally shutting down on itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it like immediately after I was just kind of like, okay, like I, I, like, I didn't, I was so in shock. I like, didn't even know what to do. They kept me in the hospital for a little while until all my uh, things were stable and steady again. But then when they let me go, I remember like once I was removed from the whole situation, I was like home. I remember walking into my apartment and like looking around my apartment and just being like, what if I never came back? And just having that moment of like, holy shit, this could have been like my mom coming to see like one of my things she was going to keep. Wow. And like, you know, like what was left out, like, like things I had written down, like what would my mom have kept to remember me by? And I remember that being like, the biggest mind fuck. And just, mm -hmm. I was like, this is it. Like, I got to do something. Wow. Wow. So, I mean, and I get what you're saying about like the little things happening. I, I certainly had my moments where it was like, you know, even, even attempts at, I don't need, I can't even call them attempts. I would say half-ass attempts at like yeah. dabbling with sobriety maybe, you know, and kind of doing some research. Um, but yeah, I, I needed to be pushed to a certain point too 
even after all this, like how hard was it for you to ask for help? And, and how did you actually do that? It was really hard. I'm mm. a very hard headed, stubborn, like I can do this on my own. I don't need mm. anyone's help. I'm one of those people. Yeah. Um, so initially I decided I was just going to keep doing everything I did and I just wasn't going to drink. Okay. Yeah. And somehow by the grace of God, I did that for a couple months. Um, I would still go out with my friends. I would be the DD. I would drive mm. everyone. I would literally go to the bars with them which I don't recommend anyone doing mm-hmm, <laughs> because like, that's just playing with fire. Yeah. But I was so not ready to let go of my old life and start this new one that I felt like I was like in a point of like tug of war. Like I wasn't ready to let go of who I was yet because that was so much of my identity that I was like, who am I now? What am I doing? And I remember I would literally drive home at two in the morning, like crying hysterically, having a panic attack because I had just dropped off all my drunk friends and I was sober and I was so uncomfortable in this situation because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to drink. I wanted to do it too. Um, so that went on for a couple months. I don't know how I did that. And then finally I hit like a very, very low point with depression and anxiety and just realizing like rock bottom mental health wise, I couldn't keep doing that, Yeah, which I actually, and a lot of people, when I say this, they're like, oh my God, that's insane. I never got into AA. I never worked a program. I found that therapy was my biggest thing and doing like the self-work with myself, but my therapist literally like saved my life, like hands down. Hmm. I started going to a therapist regularly and something that I discovered, which I think a lot of people that don't, I mean, not necessarily everyone needs to go to a therapist if they get sober. But for me, I started to realize how much of my drinking was really fueled from past trauma, you know, experiences with like sexual assault and things like that pain that I didn't want to feel Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that I would just use the alcohol as that numbing tool and that coping mechanism over and over and over again, and realizing how much it was actually driving my drinking to be even worse. And when I didn't have alcohol anymore, that's why I started struggling so bad mentally because everything was coming to the surface and I had no way to numb it out anymore. So I actually had to deal with my shit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I I get that. I remember the moment, you know, when I was like, I would just describe it as being dry, basically, you know, Mm -hmm. like trying to, and my thing, you know, I was like really more so into drugs and drinking. So Mm -hmm. in my mind, I was kind of sober, just drinking for a while. Yeah. And, but even with that, like, I remember this one day just standing there kind of as you're describing and realizing that like something is just seriously wrong. Like in Mm -hmm. that moment of like actually being sober for the first time in a while, I was like, okay, this is really scary. Um, But I think what you're, what you're throwing out about uh, therapy, you know, if someone can um, has the privilege to, to be able to do that, Uh, I'm with you. I know that helped me a lot, especially uh, early in recovery. That was a, you know, one of my tools in my toolbox, so to speak. So uh, what, what would you you say is the biggest thing that you struggled with like early on, like beyond and not to brush off the dealing with that trauma and Mm -hmm. and all all the work you did and everything, but what was kind of like, cause we got sober around the same age. So like, I know Mm -hmm. what it was like, you know, being 
younger and, yeah. you know, dealing with all that, but what were some of the biggest struggles you, you experienced, do you think? I think the hardest thing for me getting sober at that age was really figuring out who I was and what my life was going to look like. Yeah. Because like, you know, like you're mm-hmm. so it's normal. That's what mm-hmm. everyone's doing. Like right. girlfriends want to go to brunch. Let's go get margaritas. It's taco Tuesday. Like that's what everyone was doing. So yeah. it was like, okay, what do I do now? And I can remember just like sitting home on the weekends because I was like, I would either ask someone to go out to dinner because I didn't know what else to ask them to do. Yeah. Yeah. So I felt like I was just asking everyone to go out to dinner for a while or like, you want to go get breakfast in the morning? Like, <laughs> Let's go do this. Mm-hmm. But I remember that being the weirdest part for me was trying to reacclimate and have like a social life and maintain relationships with people now being sober at that age, which unfortunately, I don't know if this happened for you, like a lot of my friendships didn't make, didn't make it through that. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of people, I mean, and some of them, I can't say all of them, like some of my friends are great, you know, we're like, yeah, we'll come over. We'll have girls night. We'll watch movies. But you know, some friends did fall off and I realized those were the people that were around for the party. And, Mm -hmm. you know, people that you maybe thought you had a great relationship with, you realized it was like a little more surface level, which also hurt, you know, because these were your people. So yeah, definitely like figuring out how to be in your mid twenties and have a social life and reconstruct it in a way that was so different was definitely one of my biggest struggles. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm there with you. That was definitely uh, a, a struggle. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that, that was, that was a tough part of all this because it is like, for me, it was like, I have no idea who the hell I am. Like, yeah. and, and I just, I really, I don't want to say I didn't have a social life. Um, you know, like I did find a, a community, uh, you know, a recovery community to, to connect mm-hmm. with. And that was really helpful, but I, I just didn't go to any parties or anything for a while. Yeah. You know, I just didn't do um, anything like that, but I had the same experience. There were those friends kind of like fair weather friends mm-hmm. that fell off and we never really talked again. And then I had, um, you know, some friends that, uh, you know, I still talk to today, which is, and right. you know, had, that had been super supportive, which is awesome. So you've written several books, uh, but let's start with Sober as Fuck. Now that was your first book, right? Yes. Okay. So Sober as Fuck, my two-year journey of rediscovery and self-love. So how did you decide to write this book? I honestly have not, I had never written anything before in my life. (laughs) I I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I like it. I was very, I got very, and I feel like so many people talk about this. I was very like, open to like the more spiritual side of things once I got sober. Mm -hmm. And I started getting really like more in tune with that kind of stuff. And I would take things as like signs or intuition or like dreams. And I remember I had this dream that I found a book like on the floor by a table and I picked it up and I like opened it and it was all pictures of me inside of it. That's crazy like drunk, like glassy eyed, like at the bar. And I was like, Oh my God, what is this? And I flipped. And then I realized it was like my words in the book and my story. And I remember I went to therapy the next day and I was like, am I supposed to write a fucking book? Like, what do I do with this? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And she was so supportive. She was like, honestly, even if you never actually did anything with it, she's like, you know, writing, journaling, like reliving, reprocessing, everything might be extremely healing and therapeutic for you. 
to just, you know, even if you're not going to write a book per se, just start like writing it out and yeah. journaling on it. Um, and so I did. And like I said, I had no idea what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And then at some point I was like, I don't know, maybe it could be a book. I had that like idea in my head. And around that time I had a YouTube channel because I wanted to be like a beauty blogger, like everyone else my age did back in the day. And I remember I sat down with my cell phone and I filmed this video on YouTube and it's still up. Like it's one of my most watched videos. It has like crazy thousands amounts of views. And I just, I recorded this video. I had no idea why. And it was called my sober story, why I stopped drinking. And it was around the same time. And this video just started like taking off and mm. all these people were commenting and saying things like, oh my God, I'm just like you. Like I had the same experience. Like I had this happen too. And people were like emailing me. And so I had this moment of like, there's other people out there like me, yeah, which I feel like I didn't see a lot of, especially mm. like younger women talking about it. For sure. So then that's when I had that whole like, maybe people actually would read this. Like maybe these people actually would connect with something like this because, you know, I had no one when I looked on the internet that I could relate to. Everyone was, it was a lot of older white males to be completely honest, sure. talking about yeah. sobriety. Mm -hmm. And so at that point I was like, well, I guess like, let's go for it. I'm a pretty like go-getter person. So I was like, I can figure it out. I can self-publish it. I Googled everything, figured it out. Uh, gave myself like a crazy timeline to get it out on the anniversary of my two years of sobriety and somehow did it. Don't wow. ask me how <laughs> I did the whole thing in like six months. It was insane. Um, it's definitely not written like a New York times bestseller. I'll say that, but I did the damn thing. So I mean, yeah. it's something to be proud of for sure. Absolutely. So yeah, I put it out and I knew like my friends and family would buy it just being supportive. Right. But it was when complete strangers were starting to reach out to me hmm. and be like, oh my God, I read your book, blah, blah, blah. And, oh, I'm, you know, I'm this old, I'm this many years old. I have this going on and I bought your book and I resonated with it so much. And I was like, this is insane. Like I never expected it to become what it is now. And I just kind of got addicted to the process of, you know, putting things out for people to relate to and connecting with people over it. And so that's what's read or kind of led to me creating all the other books and all the other things I've done since. Yeah, that's really cool. Man, I, I love that. This all literally started with a dream. Like that's I know. That's so, so crazy. Cool. Yeah. And and I'm, you know, I'm more into that these days, especially after I got sober, like, you know, seeing signs or dreams mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So I think that's really cool that you uh that you ran with that. So initially this was your therapist had kind of said like, Hey, this would be a good way for you to, to work through this. So I think it sounds like initially you kind of wrote the book for yourself, but mm -hmm. as you got going and you were kind of like in the middle of this, what, what was the goal um, for this, this book in your mind? Like you knew other people were going to read it. Like what was kind of the goal that you were, you were aiming for by, by sharing your story? I wanted to give people what I couldn't find, basically. You know, when I, like I said, when I was young, I was a woman and there was no one like me talking about it, which made it hard to find other people to kind of relate to, mm -hmm. um, you know, different people. Like, I mean, we're all on the internet watching everyone's lives 24 seven. And I was like, no one looks like mine. Like I, that's what I wanted to do is give people something they could find to be like, okay, if she's doing this, 
I could totally do this too. I could change my life. I could be happy. I could, I could do this on my own as well. You know, I could figure things out. So that was my biggest motivation behind doing it for sure. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. And, and I'm sure now that you put yourself out there, you're certainly seeing and connecting with more people like you, which is, uh, yeah. which is pretty cool. So I, I got to ask, I mean, the, the title of the book, my <laughs> two year journey of rediscovery and self-love, what did you rediscover about yourself? Uh, I honestly feel like I rediscovered who I was without alcohol. Cause it was so much of my identity, Yeah. but I realized like the whole self-love part of it. I was so uncomfortable and insecure in myself mm -hmm. that I was using alcohol to like be me, mm -hmm. to be that like outgoing fun, look at how fun her life is person. Yeah. And so I had to like find her without it and be like, no, I could still do this without it. So, I mean, it did take me, you know, loving myself again and figuring out who I was and really like digging deep through that. But I mean, it was hard. It was rough. It sucked at times. Um, I'm dating got thrown in there, which was <laughs> a shit show in the first two years. But, um, you know, I really think I came out of after those first two years, just a lot more comfortable with myself and secure and, you know, good on my own as well. That's awesome. So I, I was looking on Amazon and you also published a sober as fuck workbook, right? Yes. That kind of go, goes along with the book, I'm guessing. So can mm -hmm. you tell us about that? Yeah. So I wanted to create kind of like a tool, like you were saying, like your sobriety tool belt, um, just because so many people were reading it. And then it was like, I had nothing else to, to give them beyond that. Mm -hmm. So it's a 28 day workbook I made where basically for 28 days, every day you focus on a different topic. There's a little bit of reading. There's uh, prompted journal questions to kind of like dive deep and explore things in your own head and write about them. There's mantras and quotes, but I just find that accountability is like, you know, I mean, for people that go to meetings, that accountability and that like regular check-in can be so crucial for so many people. So I wanted to give someone a tool that they could use to really do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I like that. Mm -hmm. So I, I know that you wanted, you, you were saying you wanted to connect with other people and you were, weren't really seeing anyone like you, but why do you feel like it's important to be open about your sobriety? You know, some people are, and I think it's, you know, it's a personal thing, right? And not like yeah. I meet someone and I'm like, oh, hey, I'm, you know, I'm sober, even though right. <laughs> I'm out there doing a podcast, you know, pretty open about things. But right. in your mind, like, why is that? Why did you choose to do that? Why is that important? I, and it's so funny because like how I said, I never did AA. I never went the traditional route. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I actually question and think to myself if it would have been easier for me early on had I had I done that. Mm -hmm. Just because the the main way I've made connections has been through the internet with okay. other women. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I even have a group on Facebook called Slaying Sobriety that we have over 10,000 women in. And everyone's at different points in their sobriety. But like when I see the community aspect and people like rallying for each other and cheering for each other, like cheering each other on and stuff, it's when you're in such a fragile state of like transformation and changing so much, I find that community is something that can be stable and it can be that backbone when you're having a rough time, like you have something there still. So that's why I think for me, it was so important, especially to connect with other women that were doing this because 
it's, I, I mean, I've just watched it happen even in that group. Like people come in and they're like, it's my day one. I don't know what I'm doing, blah, 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 blah. And it's just like hundreds of comments of people being like, you got this, we're here with you. Like, and I just think it's the coolest thing ever, but I saw how the community support aspect, even just through the internet helped me so much in the, in the earlier years in my sobriety as well. Yeah. Yeah. Super helpful. So that, that's part of what I wanted to ask you next is maybe with some of these women, you know, coming into this Facebook group or just people that you're, you know, communicating with online. Um, what do you feel like are some of the biggest barriers to some of these, you know, these women that are new to sobriety? What, what are they facing? What do you see them kind of running into early mm -hmm. on? Um, again, it's so normalized in society. I think that's a huge part. It's like, how do I go to brunch on the weekends mm. with my girls still and not drink? Um, so that's something I feel like I've seen a ton of is people just not knowing how, and I don't want to say easy, but like when you really break it down, it's like, you really can do it. And people thinking it's going to be a lot more difficult to like make those small changes. Sure. Uh, and something I tell a lot of people when they ask me if they're like early on and they're like, oh, it's going to be so hard. Like, how am I going to do this? Like my so-and-so is getting married. Like I'd have to go to her wedding. And I always tell people like, I was always very pleasantly surprised at how people weren't weird about it with me more so than I ever like convinced myself and they had or in my head that they would be mm. like, you know, if mm -hmm. I went to brunch and had coffee yeah. and not a mimosa right. in my mind, and a lot of people do this, like, oh God, everyone's going to ask why I'm not having a mimosa. Like why, what's wrong? Why are you not drinking? Mm -hmm. Where Honestly, like sometimes I told people, I was like, you make it into a bigger thing. Like no one ever questioned me. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't as weird as I made it out to be to myself. And I'm always like, a lot, I mean, some people are assholes. You'll have that person that's, that's going to give you shit about it. Like yeah. for sure. I've yeah. definitely had people that are like, oh, why are you sober? Like, you know, like making jokes about it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like I've been pleasantly surprised at how many people don't do that yeah. and are a little more accepting about it. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. And, and I think I definitely overthought a lot of that too. Mm -hmm. And it's funny. I I was just remembering as you were saying that, like, for the most part, that hasn't happened at all. But yeah. uh, one time my wife and I were in Italy and like, you know, they're drinking at breakfast, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, e even not like a, a brunch or whatever. And the waiter asked me like what I wanted to drink. And I think I just said water or something. He was like, oh, you don't want wine or anything. And he literally just stopped. Like his jaw was just like <laughs> dropped. I was like, all right, dude, like, you know, come on, let's, let's move on here. <laughs> but, but anyway, so uh, you also host a podcast. I do. Uh, her best fucking life podcast. Love Clearly I like the profanity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta have it in there. You yeah. gotta have it in there. Uh, can never have enough F-bombs, you know? No, yeah. <laughs> so tell me about the podcast a little bit. Yeah, so I mean, the podcast kind of just became an extension of everything else I was doing. Yeah. I definitely talk about sobriety on it. It's not a 100% um, sobriety-focused podcast. Sure. As I, you know, started connecting with all these women and doing all these things, I got really, really into the personal development community and the female empowerment community. 
So that's kind of where the podcast came from was I wanted a more, you know, regular way that I could talk to people that didn't take me writing a book for a year Mm -hmm. where I could, you know, put across content. It's free. Anyone can access it. And yeah, I definitely started uh, drawing in more of the like female empowerment and talking about mental health issues and bringing on guests. So, I mean, as you know, it's fun doing, I love doing podcasts. I just think it's such a fun way to connect with people nowadays. And it's so quick and easy compared to like, yeah, something like writing a book. Writing a whole book, right. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's really cool. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I do, I mean, I love having these conversations. Mm -hmm. Like it it is fun and you hear so many different stories and and through this, like being, you know, a, a sobriety podcast, like I've learned. I think I've learned a lot about my own sobriety in all this. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I take little bits and pieces from, uh, you know, from everyone I interview. So that's, that's really cool. So you're an author, you're a YouTuber, you're a podcast host, you host events, you're yes. a coach, you're a makeup artist. You own a beauty bar. I mean, mm-hmm. you're a busy lady. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you feel like I'm always, you know, kind of interested to hear from people that are in recovery that are entrepreneurs and and business owners, like, where do you feel like recovery fits into all that? Like, in terms of, I don't know, managing life or just like getting things started or being motivated or, or just any of it? Yeah, I've actually, this is something I've actually talked about a lot, because when I was early on in my sobriety, I think I leaned very heavily on well, at least I'm still being successful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even when I was still, when I was drinking, cause I actually started my beauty business before I got sober. Okay. So like I would get blacked out, pass out on the couch, but then get up and go do bridal makeup in the morning. And I think I was convincing myself I was still okay because look at me, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm starting a business. Mm-hmm. Like I'm still successful. I haven't yeah. lost control yet. You've got your shit together still. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So once I got sober, I think, And I'll be completely honest in an unhealthy way. Sometimes I would throw myself into my work to distract myself from everything else and to keep going with, but look how good I'm doing the whole time. So, cause a lot of people are like, how the hell did you do like in such a short, like how the fuck did you accomplish all this? Yeah. I mean, like, honestly, how many books do you have on Amazon? Is it like 10? Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. I was like, wow, I'm just still scrolling here. Yeah. Just keep going. (laughs) And I honestly, like that's, you would find me at 9 PM on a Friday night writing on my computer because it was a way for me to kind of like distract myself from everything else. Mm. And I definitely did throw myself into work for quite some time. And it's interesting because now being five, almost six years into sobriety, I'm realizing I don't need that anymore. Like, obviously I still have all my things, but I don't need to rely on it in an unhealthy way. Like I used to. Yeah. So it's been really interesting to navigate that and be like, oh, you don't need to work 24 seven to be okay and have it together and having to navigate, you know, getting married, like we're starting a family, how that's going to look now where I've been so used to just like focusing on work so, so, so much and having Mm -hmm. to kind of like change things. Yeah, that's really cool. Do you think, I mean, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like maybe your definition of like success has changed a little bit too. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. And and I wasn't writing books, but like my thing was fitness early yes. on. Yes. You know, and I find and- so many people, like even when I was dating in sobriety, mm-hmm. like 
I remember I met one guy in particular that was sober and like, he was like, I have to go to the gym every day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what, what do you mean you have to go? Like, we can't hang out. And he was like, no, I gotta go to the gym. <laughs> and it was like, but you know what he threw himself yeah, yeah, as like, you know, I don't want to say a replacement addiction because sure. it's a healthier outlet. It is. Yeah. But he leaned heavily on that regular stability of, I have to go to the gym every day, mm-hmm. but I find so many people get so into fitness after they get sober. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> well, and that, you know, that became like what I do now, you know, I'm yeah. a fitness and nutrition coach. Yes. So, I mean, but I, I know what you're saying. <laughs> like you know it's like later on hopefully we kind of find some kind of balance there yes and uh and that's that's really awesome so tell me a little bit I know you mentioned the therapy um and I know you're staying connected to to other uh women in particular online tell me a little bit about what your recovery just overall looks like today if you would yeah I feel definitely way more comfortable in it now but there are like I always want people like there are still things that come up like and you can relate like you're never done Mm. it's never like oh i'm sober now right yeah i'm fine like it's it's, yeah you don't get that like degree at the end like well you're sober now you're good um and so i mean there's still things that come up in everyday situations you know life that i still have to deal with i still see my therapist every single week this, I mean, for like almost six years now. Yeah. And that is one of my biggest lifelines. Um, the community aspect has been huge for me, but I think doing a lot of the self-work and healing in general has been big. Mm-hmm. I did lean a little bit on religion in the beginning too. Um, I found a non-denominational church that I got really, really like regularly involved in that just kind of naturally tapered off, I think over time. But okay. um, yeah. that was something in the beginning, I think that also for a while was kind of like a safe place for me, but I don't, it just kind of evolved for me into something else, but yeah. Well, it sounds like you were really just open-minded to, to trying new things. Yeah. I was basically like, give me anything at this point. <laughs> like, let's yeah. try it all. Yeah. So I, you know, like we mentioned, you've got a million things going on. What, what's next? Are you working on a new book? Do you have any new projects going on? Yeah. So I'm writing. I feel like I'm always writing. Like at, at any time I have That's like awesome. two, I have two books going on my computer, you know, like I'm always writing a little bit. Um, definitely opening the beauty bar and having the beauty business expand a little bit has happened within the last year. So that's something I've been focusing a lot more on, but I don't think I'll ever completely step away from doing all the online things I do just because I love that connection. I love that reach. I love having the opportunity to just inspire people and give them hope and, you know, cheer them on from a distance, even if I don't know them in person. So I don't think I'll ever completely walk away from that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And and I get that. I mean, it sounds like it's really a big part of of your recovery and mm-hmm. just who you are now, yes. you know? And, uh, so it sounds like, you know, we both struggled, uh, as I think most of us do to kind of find some kind of identity, but, yeah. um, you know, it sounds like that's, that's just a big part of who you are is helping, uh, helping others, which I think is really awesome. So before we wrap up, I want to ask you if maybe there is one piece of advice that you'd like to share with the sober nation, whether it's for someone that is, you know, new to sobriety or struggling, or um, if there's anything that maybe you'd like to share with them. 
Yeah, it's always been very important to me um, to show, especially younger women, a new face of sobriety today and what, what your life can look like sober, just because I think for so long there was that stereotype about people that were sober, that they were sick or wrong or weak or damaged, you know, all those things. So that's something I always like to like remind people is, you know, and almost like the name of the podcast, like that's kind of how it started was you can live your best life still beyond sobriety. I think a lot of people tend to focus on what they're losing and not what they're gaining and that life they can create from making that transformation. So that's probably my biggest thing is to know that your life can be just as good a million times better and you can have that best life you've always wanted to have in sobriety Hmm, man i really love that that's awesome advice that's awesome Mm -hmm. so you can find all of sarah's books including (laughs) sober as fuck on amazon and you can also catch her on the her best fucking life podcast thanks again for coming on the show sarah yes thank you so much for having me Be sure to check out the show notes for all the info from today's episode. Sober Nation FM is brought to you by Sobriety Engine. Sobriety Engine is a free online community of men and women supporting each other in their recovery. Visit sobrietyengine.com to join today. This show is also brought to you by Recover Health. If you're ready to get fit and start living a healthier lifestyle while supporting your sobriety, you can learn more about having me as your own personal fitness and nutrition coach at rcvrhealth.com. And again, whether you're listening to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or watching on YouTube, please share this with your friends, follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. Nation, thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.